Hi, and welcome to our second message in our series on Christian maturity. Last week, we began our short series uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We saw that Paul gave them spiritual milk. He gave the Corinthians this very fundamental foundational principles of faith. But it seems like Apollos was giving them something deeper that Paul didn't think that they were ready for. And we saw that as a mature Christian, we're not supposed to think of, of ourselves as oh so mature, but have a sober self-assessment according to Romans 12.3. And then we saw John Wooden um, and how he really believed that we grow not just beyond the fundamentals, but that we develop a deep love and appreciation for them. However, as important as all that is, um, where, where there's times in our life where we need that spiritual milk, um, where we need to really grow a deep love and appreciation for the fundamentals of faith, at some point it is a good idea to move into the deeper aspects of faith. And we're going to see that in our scripture tonight. We're going to be reading a lot from the book of Hebrews, uh, the end of chapter 5 into the beginning of chapter 6. It says, We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings of Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is possible, or it is impossible, for those who once having been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away, to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again, subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that you that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you've shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that, uh, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who by faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Now, much of this is similar to last week's scripture, but the author of Hebrews gives us a glimpse moving beyond the elementary teachings of Jesus. Notice he assumes that the church at that time understood acts that lead to death, and this is likely acts of the sinful nature versus the fruit of the Spirit that we see in Galatians 5. He assumed that they already knew or, or had faith in God, and they knew the importance of that as opposed to works. And we saw this in our series through Romans this summer. He, he just assumed that they understood cleansing rites, which is likely referring to baptism, laying on of hands, which was something done in prayer so that someone would receive the Holy Spirit and become awakened to their spiritual gifts. The resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment are ubiquitous as well throughout the New Testament, especially the middle of Romans. And the first thing he mentions when it comes to immature faith versus mature Christianity is denying one's faith. We talked about this a bit last week uh, with the immature Christian going with the crowd, you know, whereas if people were told you can just sacrifice to Caesar, uh, you can deny that Jesus is God and you'll be fine. Just go with the crowd and you'll be okay. Uh, but the mature Christian was faithful in every season, even under persecution. And God is showing here that the ultimate test of our maturity is whether we will confess faith in Jesus, even in the face of death. 
Uh, if you want to know more about this, we have a podcast episode from our Reconstruction series about Peter denying Jesus yet becoming the rock of the church later on. The author ends this, this part in Hebrews, saying that he does not want us to be lazy in our faith, but to imitate those who have been faithful. Right? If you look in 1 Corinthians uh, 11, 1, Paul says to imitate him as he imitates Christ. Most of you know um, that I like to map things out, graph things, visualize it. Here's how I kind of visualize this. Uh, think of, of growing deeper in your faith or moving beyond the elementary teachings like a pyramid. Right? Many of us stay at the top of the pyramid, and this will be in kind of our um, all the slides and the notes if you want to look at them. Uh, we stay at the top of the pyramid. Right, That might be listening to what your pastor says. You go to church, and you take what you need from it. You move on with your life, and maybe you don't go a ton deeper into that. Right, That's spiritual milk. It's not the worst thing in the world to stay there, but as we saw in 1 Corinthians and Hebrew, it's a good thing to move beyond that. But here's the kicker. Pastors like me, right, if you're just kind of staying and, and you're kind of getting what you can from, you know, someone like me or the speakers, we are usually distilling something a little deeper into spiritual milk for people, right? I'm just imitating someone else who's imitating someone else and so on, hopefully down to Jesus himself. Now, a few years ago, we read the book Crazy Love by Francis Chan on a retreat. Uh, and, you know, the message is really are usually just me or Tanner distilling and contextualizing it for us. But if you follow it closely, like if you look at Crazy Love and you and you kind of like outline it next to the book Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, which is a much older work, they are almost exactly the same, right? Crazy Love is really just distilling or it's kind of the next step of knowledge of the holy. And so it's actually a great thing if you want to go even deeper to get to the source of crazy love, which is knowledge of the holy. If you go further, if you look further than Tozer, you'll see that Tozer is often imitating guys and was influenced by guys older than him all the way down to Martin Luther, John Calvin, those kind of guys. And then it's kind of weird. The pyramid to me, you know, gets about its widest at that point. Um, and then it begins to reverse because those guys, they're expanding on older theologians. And those theologians were expanding on guys like Irenaeus and Athanasius and Origen and so on. Uh, but then it, it sort of narrows down, right? Then, then it turns out they were expanding from something already distilled, which was the deepest level. And that is the Bible and Jesus himself. It is a good thing to read books by guys like Francis Chan, David Platt, and so on. However, those guys are just distilling and often expanding from the Bible and these other sources. My hope for us is that we go to the source first and the supplementary stuff second. Right? I'm not saying the supplementary stuff is bad. I'm saying it is good, but I hope that you would be in the source of Jesus and his word first. The rest of the book of Hebrews is really just going to be a deeper examination of the nature and work of Jesus, culminating with examples of faithful living from broken people throughout the Bible. Now we're going to look at what a mature Christian looks like according to the Bible and contextualize that for the 21st century. But one of the foundational principles for mature Christianity is to go to the source, to the Bible, Jesus himself, that whatever we're intaking or imitating, it is imitating Jesus. Now, in no particular order, this is where we're going to get really practical. Um, here's some of the things we see in the Bible that should or should not happen as we are going deeper in faith and maturity. So here's the thing. The immature Christian gossips, creates, or allows for division. Right? The book, but the book of uh, Ephesians tells us the opposite. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Here's what I'm convinced the mature Christian needs to do. It's actually not that you stop talking about people behind their back. It is the mature Christian speaks well of others behind their backs. Uh, I, I had a friend named Will, and he practiced this well. 
Um, if he heard someone talking about, let's say his friend Scott, he would join in the conversation and say, oh, are you talking about Scott? Man, isn't that dude, he's just such a great guy. You know, did you know that he was voted man of the year when he was in college? But, but you would never know that because of how humble he is, right? He would just always talk him up rather than let any unwholesome talk, rather than let anything that wasn't uh, edifying or building others up. He just always tried to build people up whenever he could when he talked about them. And when there is drama, we confront it. Jesus gives us a very simple yet important teaching that we confront and seek to restore where there has been sin or offense. It says in Matthew 18, uh, uh, it says, if your brother sins against you, go and confront him privately. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, regard him as you would a pagan or tax collector. Right? That is confronting and seeking to restore uh, at three different levels. Now, the immature Christian holds on to resentment and bitterness. Look at what Psalm 10.7 says. It says, uh, their mouths are full of cursing, deceit, and violence. This gets quoted in Romans as well. Trouble and malice are under his tongue. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. That's from Ephesians uh, 4.31. But the mature Christian uh, does not hold on to bitterness or resentment, but seeks reconciliation. Right, it says in Matthew 5, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, much less you're the one with uh, resentment, leave your gift there before the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. That's what it looks like to be a mature Christian when it comes to bitterness, resentment, reconciliation. The immature Christian, and this is big today, uh, confuses harm and challenge. Right? This, is, this is very common today that when something challenging uh, comes at us or someone challenges us, we, we misinterpret it as harm. It says this in Proverbs 9.8. So don't bother correcting mockers. They will only hate you, but correct the wise and they will love you. We talked about reconciliation. I, I often find people get very, very offended and take it personally when someone calls them out on sin or encouraging them to grow in a certain area that they may be deficient in. I always ask, whenever people get offended by those kinds of things, like even if it's like very, very like gentle, people get offended. And I ask them, how could that person have said it in a way that you would not have seen as harmful? And sadly, often there's no way because challenge gets confused with harm by the immature Christian. The mature Christian, though, seeks discipline, is eager, is actually like welcomes challenge and welcomes opportunity to grow. For it says in a, a Hebrews 12, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, when I was first starting out in ministry, uh, someone wrote a nasty letter about me after I um, met, met this guy at camp. And most of what that guy wrote was untrue, but there was a kernel truth here and there. And so I was really trying to figure out how I respond to it. And so I called a mentor of mine named Justin. And I was basically just seeking some affirmation. They would say, what are you talking about? You're perfect. Everything's great. That guy doesn't know what he's talking about. He proceeded to give me a swift kick in the pants. I didn't want to hear it, but he had some challenging words that I needed to hear. And years later, I called him, asking him for wisdom on something else. And I actually said, you know what? Thank you for having, I don't know if you remember that difficult conversation you had with me years ago. It wasn't what I wanted at the time, but it was a big wake up call for me. And now I am thankful that you took the risk um, to challenge me, um, to help me grow in that as painful as it was. The immature Christian, um, and this is big, by the way, we're looking at multiple things. The immature Christian ignores 
the poor and the oppressed. It says in Proverbs 14, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Some of you heard me say this before, that the gospel is good news for the sinner, the oppressed, and the poor. And some churches slip into the gospel of just like sin management, right? All we ever talk about is Romans Road, which is a good thing, but we neglect the poor and the oppressed. Uh, and the thing is, the other side of that coin with the immature Christian is some uh, say, yeah, yeah, we need to be more, you know, uh, uh, keen to the issues of the poor and the oppressed. And they ignore or are complacent with sin. Right, we see in First Corinthians five eleven. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, an idolater, or slander, a slanderer, a drunkard, or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. But the mature Christian hopefully has, uh, you know, these three um, in balance and cares deeply about the sinner, cares deeply about the poor and the oppressed. Uh, we see this in Isaiah 61, um, verses 1 and 2, and this is what Jesus quoted at the beginning of his ministry. It says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me, because the Lord has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to the prisoners, a.k.a. the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Uh, the immature Christian asks, What church or what others can do for me? Right, we see this in we see the opposite of this in Philippians two. It says, "Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others." Right, and we see it's very simple. The mature Christian, um, I've heard it put this way, puts God first, others second, and yourself third. Now, the immature Christian is constantly comparing others or the past. Um, a lot of times, you know, I, I see this with people are constantly going, well, am I better or worse than them? Well, is this, is this person, you know, uh, more spiritual or less or whatever it might be? Um, or, you know, I see this all the time at church. People are going, if only we could have another, you know, pastor like Charles. Charles was so great or whatever it might be. Or if only the church was like it was in the 80s. That was the heyday. And, and that kind of comparison or that kind of comparison to the past isn't helpful. Look what Paul says in Galatians 1. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is something I'm having to do all the time, uh, where I'm not trying to compare myself to others or please people, because a mature Christian looks forward to what God is doing now and doing next. Uh, look at what it says in Isaiah 43, 19. This kind of speaks to both. Do not call to mind the former things. Pay no attention to the things of old. Behold, I am about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? I hope for us as mature Christians, we would not have this attitude of mourning what was in the past, but we would look forward, be excited and optimistic about what God is doing next, the new thing. The immature Christian, and this is our, our final one, really. This is huge. Um, the immature Christian is rarely or never convicted, right? They make the Bible say what they want it to say so that it never really um, convicts them of their sin or they never feel like, oh man, I, I, I need to repent of that. Um, it says this in 2 Timothy 4, uh, but the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But the final thing 
the mature Christian. This this list hasn't been exhaustive, um, but but hopefully it's given us a good picture of this. The mature Christian is seeking the next level of hearing the word and applying it to their lives. Look at what it says in the book of Acts, chapter two. When the people heard this, they heard this great you know speech from Peter about Jesus. Uh, it says the people were cut to the heart. They were convicted, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers. What shall we do? I hope in all of this, if you've listened to this and nothing has convicted you, I would hope that we would look deeper inside and say, Lord, where are the immaturities that you're longing to show me? And God, how can I grow and become a mature person in my faith?